This is the first ever episode of Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry podcast. I'm Joshua Long, and I'm with my co-host, Kevin Inchmendia. This is a two-parter, and we talk to Andrew Ortoski, gaffer and product photographer. I go a long way back with Andrew. We went to film school together. We've worked on a lot of projects after film school. He's a great person on and off set. He has an almost encyclopedic knowledge of film history, set lighting, composition, all those things. And his resume really speaks for itself. He's worked on David Makes Man, Spring Breakers, Tomorrowland, and most notably gaffed Kevin Smith's latest film, Kilroy Was Here. All right, guys. So pilot episode of Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. Yeah. Um, pretty Don't exciting. look so weird, Andrew. Yeah. Nice. So, so yeah, as, as we just said, we have um, our dear friend, Andrew Ortoski here. Uh, he is a gaffer in the area, been, uh, been in the industry for how long, Andrew? About 12 years now. Oh, that's a good part of your life there. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 I mean, what, 12 years. 12 my, years is a long time. Yeah, my professional career. Yeah. Um, so let's give some context as to how we all know each other. I would also say that he's a DP and like a photographer. Well, definitely the product photography side. I mm-hmm. mean, you do a lot of that for, for Two Stories Media, um, for those of you that don't know. Um, but yeah, DP, I mean... the, Pri- the la- Primary gaffer, but DP and yeah, yeah, photographer I, too. I can definitely shoot. Yeah, you, you do some you do some freelance work. You have, you have some side gigs that uh, yep. involve you actually holding the camera, not a light. Yep, yep, but most out there in the world of production know me as a gaffer. Yeah. That's mainly how I make my living. So on, on that note, can you give us the 60-second uh, edition of uh, how your career has kind of progressed and, and how you got to where you are? Yeah, so right out of college, I started working in a rental house here in, uh, was this, Pinellas County, and uh, met some people, networked, right? It's all about networking. Um, from there, got on sets. Uh, learned that I wanted to work in the lighting and grip world departments, uh, started working on movies, uh, got in the union, started working on the bigger shows, learned that, you know, how it's really done out in the real world. College was great and everything, but you really learn the on the job training on the job, which is working on the shows with the people that have been doing it for years and all the veterans. And, uh, then started making my own connections to the freelance world and commercial markets, I did a bunch of indie work um, as a department head where I got my feet wet in uh, learning how to communicate with uh, different departments and working with different uh, cinematographers and just figuring out the process. And of course, in production, there's always uh, problems and it's all about problem solving and uh, managing those expectations to get your day, uh, stay on budget and uh, keep the crew happy. So there's a lot of different pieces and balancing acts involved. And from there, I uh, went for a couple of years. Uh, I ran a production company that uh, was out of Clearwater. Um, that's where I really got my feet wet as a DP slash product photographer. Uh, it was a requirement of the job that we have collateral created on a budget. So what they do, they use their in-house guys, and we figured it out and made it work. Um, it was a good experience. And from there, I took that experience and went back to freelance and contract work. And yeah, here I am. That's yeah, funny. Uh, everything that he said in that little, uh, let's say, let's call it a 90 second spiel is pretty much everything we plan on talking about on this mm-hmm. episode. So yeah, sure. um, we'll we'll kind of unpackage it one piece at a time. And the first one is um, you said you came out of school, but you didn't tell us where. So. Oh, yeah. I went to University of Tampa, studied film and media arts. 
and that that's is where you met me. Yeah, that's where, yeah, I, that's where I met Josh. So yeah. you two have known each other since over a decade okay. now, yeah. which is crazy. Two thousand seven, eight. 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 Eight is when I officially went to Tampa. Okay. Yep. Right. So yep. 11, 11 years. Yep. Um, and then at, when you guys were at the other production company, that's when Andrew and I connected. Yep. Um, we were on, uh, we actually both had a freelance job. Correct. Um, for a uh, local music, musician. And, yeah, pretty well-known um, guy. And yeah. um, you were gaffing and I was one of the cam ops and I just kind of jumped in when all my responsibilities were done and we were uh, like an hour and a half from recording and yet. Um, you didn't have any help. And I remember hopping on the ladder and just being like, Hey, I'm Kevin. Um, I don't want to sit there and be on my phone. I'm bored already. Yeah, just no, doing it was that. great. It was good and to have I, somebody else there to help. Yeah. Me. I, I felt weird not helping when you were the only G and E member. Like you yeah, literally, we, really everybody else on that show had no idea or had never been around that type of equipment. Yeah. So and I mean, even know. then at the time, my experience was minimal, but I still, understood how right. to attach a light and plug in power without getting shocked. So I, I had, yeah, I had the yeah. baseline requirements to uh, be helpful. Uh, I knew what a Cardellini was. I knew yep, yep. Uh, what a Mafer was and like, well, you, know, you knew how to go on a ladder and not kill anybody yeah. with the light above their head. Yeah. Which, rigging, you know, um, which was good. Um, um yeah. I talk about managing expectations. They wanted me to rig that whole place in like six hours and yeah, whole there studio were like 30 up. lights and one guy in one ladder. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Math doesn't kick in um, very well for them, apparently. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's. Um, so you you mentioned like <clears throat> right out of college going to the pro- the production company or not the production company, the rental house, the rental house, yeah. and like working with them. What kind of feel? What do you feel like got you into that so fast after college? Because you're ahead of a lot of people, right? Coming out of film school yeah. to be able to go work at a rental house. So how did that happen? What do you feel like let you sure. get that experience? So what I didn't mention was I went to USF first, uh, University of South Florida. And funny enough, I was studying electrical engineering. And um, when I was at that school, uh, I was part of the film and video association, I believe is what it was called. And from there is where I really made my first connections into the Tampa Bay market of different producers and um, crew members. And those producers and crew members uh, working on their projects introduced me to some of the rental houses and kind of the key players in those places to get my name out there, you know, just so they could start understanding me and who I am and, you know, how hopefully I'm going to grow in this industry. So when I went to University of Tampa, I already had those relationships built. And then I went back to them saying, hey, I'm doing film now, not engineering. Um, can I get an internship here? So my last year at that school, uh, at University of Tampa, I went to them and said, hey, uh, I'm doing the film program. Uh, I need an internship into some sort of production. I asked them I, if I could do more of a trade internship. And they said, yeah, it'd be great to work at a rental house and get some hands-on experience with the equipment. And that kind of dives into... Part- Not a lot of film programs have you do internships. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you're doing like producing or something along those lines, but... And we've been around a lot of um, students or kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, lately in this area, especially, that uh, the hands-on experience is kind of something that isn't given to you at a school. Let's just call it what it is. You either have to be ambitious and do it yourself or... Not usually in the grip and electric world. Most most people on internships are PAs or associate producers. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're writers, they're content creators, they're social media driven positions now. Um, And being able to work around the gear and when guys are coming into the shop that are department heads or best boy electrics or best boy grips, um, they see you, they get to know who you are. 
um, it's good because it's all about the networking and who you know. Yeah, and all three of us actually have um, uh, G&E experience with obviously you being a gaffer and Josh as yeah, a... Yeah, we all uh, hire each other. Yeah, as That's a key grip. And then I've been on plenty of productions as a best boy grip to Josh or swing, um, kind of helping the electrics and, yeah, uh, just getting the and, job and grip done. job. Yeah. Um, you know, we had one recently in the area where all three of us were working together again. Um, Andrew as the gaffer, Josh as key grip. Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, um, there's... There, there's a lot to be learned in the G&E department, and I think it's something that I personally would recommend a lot of people dive into, uh, and I think Josh agrees with that sentiment. I think there's just a, a massive um, lack of people in the industry not doing enough different positions, yeah. you know, industry-wide. Yeah, I agree. When you're first starting out, it's good to kind of understand all yeah. the different departments and how I don't, they work together. Yeah. Yeah, for I, sure. I, I don't think what you get from film school in that aspect is enough, you know, because that's just such the... It's just the base property uh, it, of it. Yeah, you know, really understanding it. Yeah, it's more the definition version. Yeah. And on set, there's always so many different variables and dynamics that don't flow with how it's done in film school. Yeah, especially if you want to be a producer. I feel yeah. like you should work some crew positions mm -hmm. across the board and yeah. or a production coordinator or a manager. You, you should have a better understanding of what it requires to do the job. Well, you should understand the procedures. Some of the most yeah. successful people in the area have been in multiple positions right. or can be in multiple positions. I mean, right. let's... Let's use, you know, some of the uh, latest examples. Um, you know, you're a gaffer, DP, mm -hmm. product photographer, yeah. but you understand lighting, grip, you understand... Yeah, I understand budgets, too. Yep, and that's uh, as, as a key member of uh, the G&E department. Yeah, you know, as a department head, you need to understand budgets and you need to understand, you know, it's always great to have all the toys to play with, but sometimes you just don't have the budget and you don't have the labor power, you know, you don't have the manpower to yep. do it. So you have to weigh your options yep. and what's best for production because ultimately that's why you're there yeah josh has a upm key grip you've you've even um to my understanding done some uh, assisting with uh with your wife who is a um yeah. very, very talented when, wardrobe when she designer gets, when she's a costume designer and she needs a hand if there's no one available or if it's just makes more sense for us financially for that job to to me help her and i don't have anything going on we, i mean i might as well help her yeah. you know but that kind of just goes back to you know making sure that I'm well-rounded, which has always been my goal. Yep. You know, like that's why I started doing theater and then got in the film. And I always thought yeah, that if I sure. was going to be successful at making art, I should be well-rounded. Now I'm not going to go, go try and paint cause I'm fucking terrible at it. But yeah. you know, you still try to, it's, you know, it's good to understand what everybody's, uh, jobs right. are on set. And it's also important because I've seen it where the newer people on set, the greener people is the term, um, sometimes get in people's way just because they don't know what they don't know. Right. Um, and, and that's no fault to them. Yeah, it's not their fault because they've just never been around it. They've never been exposed to it. You know, so when you have a PA trying to help the grip or electric department and crew has the set, so to speak, um, and he's in there doing something completely unrelated to grip and electric, you're like, well, what are so you that's doing? So a, that's a good kind of point of why is it important? Cause you know, a lot of, especially on small indie projects, you know, you always get a PA or you get someone from another department that wants to pick up a C stand or try and help or something like that. Explain why, why 
grips and, you know, electric should only hold their gear and why we don't go mess with sound gear and, you know, why does... Well, I'd say first and foremost, it's about safety, right? Um, first and foremost, safety, uh, that's that's the pivotal thing, right? We all want to go home. We all want to be safe. We want to respect the location. We don't want anybody to get hurt. And some of the equipment we have um, is large, heavy, and usually steel or aluminum. And, uh, or electric. Or electric. Or, well, yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah. get to that next. But on the simpler things, like you could damage the location if you're carrying a stand wrong or swing around, hit somebody in the head, you know. I mean, a lot of it's just safety. Um, another reason is just um, respect to the people that need to handle the gear and know where the gear is. Usually when we're on set, we have a specific area where we call it our staging area. And sometimes PAs help us and then they put something somewhere and haven't communicated with us because they're not on our channel and we can't talk openly to them unless we go physically talk to them on set. Yeah. And, and sometimes that could be something. pretty far away. Yeah. And like, you know, say like, Hey, where'd you put that floppy? Oh, uh, it's over there. Okay. Well we can say that over the radio. It's on our staging area. We kind of know where everything is, but with a PA, like they'll put it off in you know, left field and we won't know where that is. And then we'll be looking for it. And then didn't, the takes ADO five times asking, as long. Hey, where's yeah. the floppy? Did you set it yet? No, we're looking for it. That makes us look bad. You know, so it's all about the flow and just the way we get things done um, and working with each other and knowing where everything is. Uh, second was what Kevin was just mentioning. Um, you know, part of the department is electric, right? Setting up lights, dealing with power, generators, all that stuff. Um, you don't want to be touching that stuff if you're not qualified. Um, cause you could die it realistically. I mean, that's worst case scenario, obviously, but, or you could damage the equipment, which is the second worst scenario or the property or the property. Yeah. You could damage transformers, power box, you know, you could mess some stuff up. So, um, the best thing to do, especially with electric and set lighting department is just leave that to the guys that are trained in that p profession. Yeah. And I actually have a firsthand ex um, example of that on a movie called uh, Dropity that we all had the uh, pleasure of working on. Oh, I don't remember this. What happened? Uh, no, you <laughs> or were. Or maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, I think you blocked it out of your uh, memory. Um so I was one of the grips, Josh key gripped and Andrew uh, gaffed on it. Yeah, and so it was a digital no. caviar production with um, a lot of uh, a lot of rain. A lot, if if lot he's of rain. a grip, he shouldn't probably be messing with electricity. <laughs> exactly, but it was raining substantially, and one of the oh, so junction it was, it was all hands on deck to just try and yes. save everything. It was. Oh wait, we, was this when the lunchbox was yes, going underwater? Exactly. On the roof? Yeah, we didn't pre rig it. For That's exactly it, what's happening yeah. here. Um, so it was a situation where this is why you um, always put your your lunchboxes on. Um, Apple boxes. Yeah, we and, elevate them, swamp yeah. boxes. Yeah, yeah so, and, yeah. so go ahead and um, t uh, can you elaborate a little bit on um, what a lunchbox is and why we should have done what we did not do? Yeah, I mean, there's many different forms of a lunchbox, but a lunchbox is basically um, a junction box that goes out to serviceable for power. Um, usually it has breakers in place and it's typically 20 amp service um, per breaker. And it just goes out to a regular regular wall outlet or an Edison outlet um, that's usually 20 amps of power. And it, the input power is usually 100 amps uh, at 110 voltage. So, yeah, I mean, the lunchbox... Um, it allows you though, to bring power from the generator yeah, to... Yeah, though we were taking proper precautions and we didn't energize the breaker from the distro box... Uh, to the lunchbox, it was technically off, and nobody could have gotten hurt. Are we sure about that? You still I, don't. You still don't yeah, want it to oh get. Yeah. You still don't want it to get rained so, on. If yeah, it's not I'm covered. sure because it was almost underwater. Yeah. So that's <laughs> um, and the location we were at. Um, if Josh, could you give a 
10 second brief on the location and how massive the location it was. It's a huge mansion. Yeah. Humongous mansion. Yeah. Basically, uh, what Howie happened, in the Hills. Yeah. Howie, Howie in the Hills, Humongous Florida. Mansion. Yeah, we had ended up shooting on the top of a balcony. Um, and this wasn't any balcony. It was a, uh, I don't know, it was from the early 1900s. And the roof Cobblestone. Was, yeah, the, like, well, <clears throat> the roof was the, the floor of the balcony. And it was starting to cave in just because of old age. Well, production's rain, answer to rain covering was put tents over Yeah, the, well, the yeah. rain was building up, and it was pooling in the center, and the lunchbox was toward the side of the uh, balcony, and the cable was run over. But like I said, the power was off until we energized it and raised it up. But, Which, at the time yeah, was, when, when we came on walkie and we, you know, it was uh, me and the other two or three grips. We, oh, yeah, you know, I know, and I told my best boy, hey, don't, don't energize that yep. lunchbox yet because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we, the we roof is flooding. Couldn't get an answer on walkie at the time because yeah. it was all hands on deck no, trying no, to get I, everything uh, you know, safe and, they, and dry. They, they and were all getting excited. Production was getting excited. And then, you know, we rain, had to have... Rain has that magical ability of making everyone, you know, chicken yeah. little skies falling. Uh, the, ma- the main thing, though, is, you, you know, when that happens, I always find if you just stay calm and collected... And just watch out for everybody's safety and make sure everything is safe before you do anything. Um, it's a lot better than rushing through and then costing production a lot of time and money okay. on the back end. Or, you know, having an ambulance call because somebody got shocked. And that's exactly it's, where I was going yeah, with this whole story. It's just not worth it, right? Like, yep. take 15 extra minutes to raise and shore up all of the connectors if there's water. And, um, you know, just make sure everybody's safe, right? Because that's the whole point of this. And it, and. The the follow-up point that I'm trying to make is I went on walkie when it was asked to clear everything out, move this, move oh, that, yeah. and I said, you know, I don't feel comfortable touching this because it's electric and I am the best boy grip on this job. So yeah. um, I grip, know, electric, you, two you, different you, things. You did the right thing. As you guys know, yeah. I stay away from electricity. Yeah. I, I, um, I've been shocked a lot of times in my in my uh uh, personal and professional life and yeah. so now i'm just like yeah i i have a enough kevin, of, kevin doesn't even plug in his phone charger without no, calling somebody no i, I <laughs> andrew andrew can i plug it in it's in my kitchen is is this okay is, is this it safe? G, gfci um if you don't understand something it's better to let someone who does handle it and the electrician uh sean um ended up confirming after a whatever 15 seconds that it was in fact not live and that it could then be moved but if you don't know or you're even remotely second guess what's uh, quite frankly i would have rather that lunchbox get fried yeah i mean that's what you do you let the yeah but the thing was is like it was never going to get fried. It would have just been wet inside yep, and of it would have dried out. But the thing but was, if you is, don't know. Oh, no, you and, don't know. And the thing was, is just for the record, we changed it out with a dry lunchbox from the truck because <laughs> that one got soaked. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about that I feel like, you know, we kind of started going down earlier, um, you know, film school, right? Um, all of us in some way has either went to film school or decided not to go to film school and went another route or, or whatever. Um, but I'm curious as to you, did you feel like film school was worth it? Oh yeah, for sure. No, I can honestly say that you guys looking at me like that, but yeah, no film school is worth it. Um, it's funny because when I was at the production company and I was responsible for all the video content, I remember looking back and going, Oh yeah, you know, it's good that I had film school experience and, 
uh, just background and reinforcement of that knowledge because I needed it at that time. It would, but it, it was more on the um, accounting agency advertising side that I pulled from it rather than the technical tradecraft side of this is how you do stuff on set. Um, but it was still important, I think. Mm-hmm. I, in my case, I think it's um, it's a case-specific situation, right? And the thing was is I used University of Tampa's film program uh, – I would say to its full extent. Um, I was always testing out the equipment, learning the gear, trying to get on as many projects as possible, put myself in the situations where I could fail. Um, because what I learned was in film school, you can fail. You can do completely the wrong thing and learn from it. And it typically actually helps you because then you'll have somebody there to say, hey, you should have done it this way. Or you'll have people say, oh, that looks great. And then you're just like, no, it doesn't. Why, why did I do it that way in the first place? Um, but that's more on the visual image side, but there's also the producing side of it because I did tons of projects that they just fell apart and we had to figure ways out of them because they, they just didn't know what they didn't know yet. It was film school. So it's better to, um, fail in film school as far as achieving the effect you're going for the look or whatever, um, there than in your professional field where, you know, it's your career, it's your livelihood, right? It, it makes your living. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's my theory. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Josh? I'm a mixed bag. I mean, I'm sure we'll kind of like cover this topic pretty extensively over the lifespan of the podcast. Um, so I don't want to go too crazy with it just now because I feel like, you know, our opinions will just come out over time. But I feel like film school is very useful depending on what you want to do in life. I feel like if you know you want to be in camera department or you know you want to, you know, work audio or, you know, work post-production, or if you kind of have something that you know you like, you're probably better spent trying to get an internship at a company that does it or get on set as a PA. I do. I do agree with that. You know, work in those departments because the film, you know, unless it's a vocational kind of film school, almost it, you're really not going to get what you should get out of it as opposed to comparative to what you would just get on set. Right. No, no, because one of the main things, that's a very good point, Josh, one of the main things is learning from people that have been doing mm-hmm. it for years, the veterans, right? Um, because there are wrong ways and right ways to yep. do things. Now, it they might both be safe and, you know, they might be seen properly in the eyes of film schools, but to a to a industry veteran, right. there's blatant right ways and wrong ways to do things. And right. it, it calls you out on set. If you're like, Oh, he went to film school and then he's doing it this way. I'll look what film school taught him. Right. I've seen it. I've, I've been and it's there. a pretty common and, thing to hear. And too. I've yeah. done it myself when I was getting out of school and then I learned the right way. Right. You know, so that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, film school for the writers, the producers, the directors, um, above the for, line jobs. Yeah. Maybe even an editor right? Really useful. It's going to get you the contacts that you're going to call on the rest of your life. You know, you're going to learn valuable business. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that you're going to get from film school, but I just think from the below the line crew side, if that's, if, if you know, that's where you want to be. And here's the other problem, right? That we're kind of, that film schools, I feel like face and just like the economy or like the job market in general faces, which is not enough vocational positions you know, are being filled nowadays, right? Oh, it's true. I'm working on a show right now in Orlando. It's a big National Geographic show, episodic, 
and they can't find people. They can't yeah. find the labor that they need, trained labor, skilled labor that they need um, from the union to fulfill the positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... So it's, it's better it's, it's better it's, off it's if you kind of know where you want to be. And the big problem that, you know, kind of circle back around the big problem I feel like with that is that so many people want to be a Roger Deakins or be a Quentin Tarantino. Everyone feels like they're a director or yeah, a DP yeah, or but something. The, but the thing is, is most of those people... The percentage, the percentage of people that are going to do it are so low. I mean, I yeah. went to film school thinking that, right? right? But you, you immediately <clears throat> learn that you're going to have to pivot if you want to even have a career in the industry because otherwise you're going to yeah, be... and I'm not I, really sure if those guys started out knowing that they were going to do that. I think a lot of them just probably were in the right place they at the right time. They just got into and, making movies. Yeah, they got know? into making movies. Yeah. And but you know, and those people that you're talking about, they were in a different echelon of movie making. The production was different. It was on film. It wasn't digital. Everything it was well, a different every, world. Everyone's path is different. Right. So that's always something to take into account too. But, um, you know, I, I just feel like there shouldn't be such a big rush to become you know, to be an above the line person, you know, that's a big problem I think we have. And then I just also think like, know yourself, get on projects, learn a little bit, find out what you really may like in film and realize, you know, just from a standpoint, you know, go in with full eyes open and know that, you know, I may need to work in the industry right. to be in the industry. I may not be able to walk, you know, the red carpet with my idea, yeah. but I may be able to make a really good living as an audio tech. Right. Yeah, or and historically, some, you know, if you look at IMDb credits and you look at all the people that are really the movers and shakers of the different trades and different departments and the department heads, they've either come up through family members, aunts, uncles, right, and they're second, third generation um, of that of that department because they were raised doing it because that's what their that's what their mom or dad did, right, mm-hmm. or brother and sister, so. It's the relationships, right? And the thing is, is I think it's interesting how you said about above the line and below the line. I don't know if everybody knows what that means, um, but there's there's definitely a defining line on that. And just like you said, (laughs) so if if you don't know, if you don't know, real quick, above the line are your producers, your writers, your directors, your talent. You know, everyone else is basically below the line. Right. Right. So all those names. Post-production, everything. On the call sheet, all those names in the uh, rolling credits, yep, that's all below the line. Yep. That's also all your allied crafts. That's everybody in IATSE, right? Yep. So all the different unions. So there's a lot of below-the-line personnel. Mm-hmm. Well, and you even have, have, have some of your yeah. uh, below-the-line personnel that get title cards. Sure. Your costume designers, your you know your editor, you know they're all considered below-the-line. Yep. So. Yep. There's a lot more opportunity below-the-line, and that doesn't that's not a bad thing. Right. You know, that, that's yeah, I mean, by no means a negative. And, and I'm not trying to push someone to give up on their dream, but you know I think that you just need to look at. You know, the idea is that we're trying to give you a guide to the industry, right? We're trying to lead you down the path of the reality of what the industry is and how you can go about navigating it. And so I think it's an important thing to, you know, point out. Well, the barrier of entry um, is a lot easier below the line. Well, I mean, look, I I networked with you, Andrew, and from there... Ended up meeting Josh, and right. from there, I um, yeah. you know, he brought me on to be a grip under him several times. Right, I right. actually first say seed for you when you were at the old production company, yeah, um, or the company you used to work for, right. And um, those are both below the line positions. But oh yeah, well but I now, can count on two hands how many projects I've produced, 
versus how many projects I've gaffed. Well, and it doesn't mean that just because you're or, below the line, you're never going to get where you want to go. You oh, know? you can make like, your way well, up. 100%. Yeah, you make your way up. There's plenty of DPs that have become, I mean, sorry, DPs that were gaffers. Oh, yeah. You know, sure. or, or a camera operator yeah, or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Well, so, I most mean, DPs start as a second, right. right? Second AC or a loader. So... It's very common, and you hear about it quite often. You just have to be willing to put in those hours and that time. And, I mean, just me personally, I've learned um, a lot is an understatement, being a grip with you guys and just being on set and understanding how a truck is run and how to properly set up a C-stand. You know, it's it's something that I thought I knew, but then you learn the right way and you go, oh, this – piece of metal is actually really useful if you do it well, right and it, it i think it also just comes down to evaluate your experiences on set once you're on set you know coming from a, a less experienced perspective right um go through the day of how things went with whatever position you were in right i mean i work with guys their career pas uh production assistants right i mean some people think a pa is a, a young person's game Um, and that you start as a PA and then you go up and move into producer, production manager, right? Unit production manager, all that kind of stuff. No, I mean, I do jobs, big commercials where the PAs have been a PA. That's all I've known them for 12 years. And I mean, they're 50 years old and they're PAs and they're perfectly happy and they, they make a good living, right? I mean, think about it, like $300, $250, $300 for 10 per day. I mean... That's not a bad living if you're doing, yeah, if you're not, if you're doing, you know, 75% of the year PA work, that's a good salary. Yeah. And a lot of PAs go into OT. Yeah. And if you live in New York, then you can even be DGA. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. And you get benefits. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, no, there's a lot of places to think, but going back to evaluating your time on set, I've seen guys that they're like, oh, I want to be in the grip and electric department all right, well, come on, come on, you know, as an intern for us or something or a PA, a grip PA, right? And um, they'll be doing it and they'll be like, oh man, you know, at the end of the day, they're like, oh, this this, this was rough, you know? And they're, you know, granted it's rough, but like you, your mindset, it's how you're wired, right? There's two, there's different mindsets of different people and how they think. It doesn't necessarily mean they're bad at their job. It's just... They haven't found what they're supposed to do, right? I mean, maybe like, maybe they should shift over to, to wardrobe. Yeah, or you know, there's production design. Yeah, or, if you if you if you're passionate about movies and you want to be on set, that's great. Um, but maybe the grip and electric department, or art department, or props, or costume, whatever it might be. You know, you you have to kind of figure out where you fit in, and I don't think you get to figure that out unless you actually do the job for a couple of days or a couple of projects. Yeah, and I don't think. Uh, uh, that version of figuring it out in film school works because that's not the real version of it. No, because like I said, that's where you can fail and be okay with it. Right. Right. Because you're still, you have a security blanket there, right? Yep. You're getting a grade, but chances are in film school, if you're applying yourself and doing the job, right. So with that being said, like if you could go back now and talk to young in college, Andrew Artoski, what would you tell him giving everything you know now? Oh, I'm super excited to hear oh, this. Oh, man. Let me think about that for a second. Um, well, you knew it, young Andrew 12 years ago. Yeah. How was young Andrew? It, much like older Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't changed much. Yeah, it really hasn't changed all that much. He's gotten grumpier. Oh, you yeah. know, but 
you know. Uh, you have your moments. Yeah, I get grumpy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you you get hangry. Oh, my um, God. People, people do things they shouldn't and, you know, could potentially harm themselves. I get angry. That's really when I only raise my voice when I see somebody about to get hurt or something. Or You've do shut something. down productions before. Well, he got a he got yeah. a nickname on a indie film that we were on not too, not too long after college. Oh, are you referring to, yeah, that one? You, were you gaffing that? Nope. No. You, I was going to, but then it didn't. You were best boy? Yeah, I was best were, boy for the rental best, house. He was best boy electrician, and it, I was just on it as a, as, a, as a grip, and one of the guys is loading the truck, and he has no shoes all on. All right, hold on. So you got, you got to set the story now, up. This, right. this is, it had been raining yeah. all night. We were on an overnight. Our call time was 6 p.m. the day before. We were wrapping at like 10 a.m., and we were all exterior at a house. It had been raining. In the mud. And this technician, right, who I use the term loosely, yeah. well, <laughs> he was he was more of a guy that needed a job. So here's the thing. I'm not going to say Andrew's wrong. He's completely right in this. But this is where, you know, Nick, Andrew got the nickname of Smokey. Smoke, you know. Uh, from, nobody calls me that anymore, <laughs> yeah. thank goodness. Uh, I haven't heard that nickname. Well, you know, I'm because excited it, I heard it now. Smokey the Bear, the fire yeah, marshal, like only you can protect. You yeah, know. so this guy was loading carts on a lift gate. With no shoes. With no shoes on. He was in his bare feet yeah. and had a cart run over his foot Definitely. on the lift gate. He'd have a broken foot. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Needless to say, I never saw him work again, but, you know. He made some other bad choices. Well, yeah, I mean. That... <laughs> he, yelled, he yelled at him. It was pretty well known. And then one of the other guys on the set heard it and was like. No, he was in the back of the truck yeah. loading the front of the truck. He heard it and he was like, Andrew, Smokey the Smokey the Bear, calm down, bro. Yeah. You know, and ever was, since then. I was done. That's when the nickname. I didn't came. want him to hurt himself, well, man. Well, you, you have. Um, Shut down productions for 30 minutes, 45 an hour because of lightning, because of dangers to the crew, which... Well, yeah, you me, have to. Yeah, which you have to. me, yeah. as a crew member under you on the, some of these jobs, I am super grateful. Yeah, well, no, you... But that's you know. usually the sort of thing that, like, you know, indie producers don't understand, right. as opposed to studio work where... Well, and, and, and there's standards, right? You have different guidelines that are set up by different industry organizations that... They set the standards, yep. and the unions have to abide by them, or there can be heavy fines. Yep. So when you're on indie movies, you just hope that production management, mainly the uh, AD staff, understands it because that's who you go to and tell them. You, you don't tell the DP, hey, we're shut down because of lightning. You tell the AD, and then he holds the whole production. Yep. And if we have to, we shut down the generator, lower the lights, lower the frames, whatever. And, and we lower were, the condor, whatever. The job we were all on recently, um, the AD staff definitely understood that i mean she was the the first ad i i do forget her name um she which was, one the one we just did yeah eden eden yeah um she asked you on two different occasions hey are we still good to go and you said both times yeah we're fine no problems you know yeah um, there we, was no lightning in the, the area the storm was kind of going around us um, yeah it literally broke up right around us um, so it but was good. she was prepared to stop everything absolutely and, and she was very cognizant of and it and that was great i mean we kept working and we kept monitoring uh lightning and weather and you know our our yeah. 12 buys in the air making sure that wasn't gonna the worst fly thing away. you can be doing is trying to be reactive than proactive in a weather situation because it's just that's when people get hurt that's when stuff gets damaged it's not good yeah. well that's 
just in general on sets. I mean, you should yeah, always be thinking about, you know, one thing that I say with like my crew guys. Mm, it's and, not always the case. <laughs> and people that I hire, especially uh, multiple times I hire, or the people who I only hire one time and don't rehire is because they're missing common sense. Yeah. Um, that's something that um, I know, Josh, you and I, I have feel had like multiple that's conversations a about. In itself. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm just touching up on it for just a few seconds. Is if you're going to be in this industry, just have common sense. Yeah. Just think. You know, you don't have to be the best chess player in the world, but good think to one say, step It's forward. just really good to say to slow it down and think for a moment. Yeah. You know? uh, one thing, a term that has always resonated with me that a veteran told me was uh, slow is pro, right? Now, that doesn't mean move at the speed of uh, molasses when you're on set. Move safely and efficiently, but yes. don't plow through people to get your job done. Yeah. Right. Because um, everybody's got a job out there to do. Yeah, I mean, even the military has a term similar, you know, like slow is fast, fast is slow. Yeah, right, right. And, um, yeah, it, no, it's interesting. And I had a point, but I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, it's all good. It, that's the first time this whole thing. I, <laughs> oh, smoky. <laughs> really? I can't believe you hadn't heard that yet. I am so using it now. Cause even <laughs> on, of them. So even on, um, on the two-story media jobs, I mean, you pretty much become the safety officer as well. So there we go. Um, well, so yeah, now, I mean, if there's no AD, yeah, you know, no, and I'm saying this in a, oh, in yeah. a uh, sure. I appreciate kind of way right. because, you know, our, a lot of our jobs are anywhere between four and six crew right. um, for from for us, and it yep. works, and yep. it works really well, and we just all have to kind of help each other out. Right. So, um, Josh, where do you want to go? What's next? I mean, my, my big thing is I feel like, can you explain for people your relationship with a DP as a gaffer, you know? How does that work from the day that you're hired till the day that you wrap? You know, yeah. what do you have to do for it? Because, I mean, I don't think some people, you know, understand that relationship exactly sure. or know how it's supposed to play out. They just know that you're the guy that's there to help get the lights up and, you know, just kind of explain that process a little bit. Yeah. So, um, all right, let me break this down into segments because there's a couple different uh, components. I'd say first off, uh, build a relationship with the DP um, so he's comfortable with you, right? Um, it's just like having a, co a co-worker, you know, you guys are working to achieve a goal. Um, usually, uh, the relationship and the way you guys um, communicate is critical. It, this business is all about communication and understanding what each other's limitations are to the production due to budget or labor um, is very important. Um, and to set those standards first so they understand what we're working with, right? If they want to do some major light control and we don't have the equipment or the labor available, um, find solutions, right? Um, always, always come up with some sort of alternative solution rather than bring problems to the table, right? Uh, chances are that uh, DP uh, has already got a lot on his plate and he's trying to figure out all the other components that he has to worry about um, as the person that's responsible for shaping the visual story of the project. So um, it's important to be able to take and compartmentalize the information that you have at your disposal and not take it all and put it on him, right? I f the way I look at it is when you're hiring um, a department head, you're not only hiring somebody that can run a crew, 
knows how to put the equipment up, but also knows how to manage the information that they're given because it's always, it, there's good information and there's bad information, right? And you have to filter what is the bad information and you have to take it and you have to manipulate it in your head to make it work for the solution, right? You don't want to stress out your boss. If you're at a regular job, right, a regular corporate job, you don't want to keep bringing bad news to your boss. <laughs> that just makes his life miserable or her life miserable, right? So you want to manage those expectations and help them figure a solution out. I always work with them on, I always have the mindset of, okay, we're in this together, right? It's maybe not the best case scenario because we maybe don't have the resources to get it done the way we want, but let's come up with something that works for both of us. And I'm saying this because this is mainly from an indie perspective of the movies I've gaffed, is you don't always have the budget for fly swatters and condors and 18Ks and all this big light control. So what do you do? You know, you figure it out. Um, second, I would say is understand the DP's uh, mentality. There's a lot of DP's that are technical and there's a lot of DP's that are more um, visually story driven and they care more about the world they're creating on camera, less than the fixtures they're using to create that world. Right. Because lighting is very subjective. Um, it, there's no wrong way to light anything. There's just different ways to create different emotions and play on the scene differently. Yeah. How, how important is that when you're talking with them to, you know, the color you know, color science and, you know, the colors that you're going to choose to do a scene with and all that as far as the, the emotions of the scene that you want to get out. Right, and all right. That. Well, um, one of the DPs I work with a lot here in the Tampa Bay area, I've done a couple movies with him now, um, you know, a few bigger budget as far as indies go, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to, you know, a few million dollars. Um, well, go, go ahead and say the name just so oh yeah, we have uh, context. Brandon. Yeah, Brandon with uh, Digital Caviar. Brandon mm -hmm. Hyde. Yeah, Brandon Hyde. Good guy. Um, done a few movies with him. So I don't ask him, hey, how do you want me to light this? What fixtures do you want me to use? I ask him, how do you see this looking on camera? How do you see this world? What, what's the quality of light? What, does it look like a sunlight source coming through a window? At night, is it motivated by practicals? How do you see this in your head? And then from there, uh, I work on creating a scheme technically that works within budget and on time and on schedule to figure it out, you know? And I mean, that's, that's how it's done. There's a lot of more intricacies in it, but the main thing is, is understand what type of DP you're working with. Is it a DP that wants to be hands-on that tells you, I want these type of fixtures. I want a Joker 800 and M18 and a couple Titan tubes, you know, with a sky panel, with a Chimera. And you're like, okay, great. And then he literally tells you where you want them. And then you're more of a technician and you're just executing. Or is it the type of DP that says, oh, you know, this is this kind of look I want. I want a nice source here. I want a nice quality here. I want to feel it this way. I want a little pop here. I want a little negative here. You know, it, it all depends, right? And that's just how they work. And I've, I've seen it from big DPs on big major commercials. I was doing a uh, commercial uh, for the NFL and the DP, I don't remember his name, uh, he was the DP for Beauty and the Beast, the Disney movie. And he literally just came in and said, I want doot, 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 like fixture here, fixture here, fixture here, plotted it out for us, and we just executed it. Mm -hmm. So, and I was just the best boy electric on that. 
but um, you know, and then the gaffer relied on me just to run power and get that going, and right. uh, we did it. Can you, for someone that doesn't know, can you explain? You, you used a word that some people may not understand if they're not from the GE world, but quality of light. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, so, quality of light, the way I understand quality of light is it's not the light that is coming off of the source, it's the light that's hitting the subject that's going to be on camera or this, you know, the object, whether it's product, uh, person you know, place, floor, whatever. Um, It's how that light looks on that person. How natural does it feel? Does it feel motivated? Does it feel unmotivated? Does it feel harsh, like a spotlight or a very sharp source? Or is it soft and rappy and pleasant? It really, it really all depends on the the style, right? If you're shooting, like we just did a action uh, film and there was a lot of soft light in places, but then there was a lot of sharp light as well. So it really just all depends. Because they wanted to be a little edgy. And, yeah, yeah, they wanted a little edge and separation and make it look futuristic. Mm-hmm. So it really just all depended on what the scene called for. Right. And also going back to what the DP sees in his head. Which right. actually is where I'm heading. Um, that was Speed of Time. Uh, yeah, Speed of Time, yeah. The DP was from New York. Yeah, Alex. And yeah, Alex um, Galatano. Yes. Yep. yep. Alex Galatano. How was your relationship with him? He was a New York DP. Um, he got your name and yeah. as a recommendation. Yep. And he just calls you some random morning, afternoon, says, hey, I'm Alex. want to hire you as a DP for a four-day project down in St. Pete. Yeah, yeah. How does that conversation progress? Because you you gave us the example with Brandon Hyde. Mm-hmm. Yep. You've worked with him for years. Yep. Uh, good dude. Josh and I have done a lot of work for them as well. Yeah. Um, and um, very knowledgeable. But that relationship you were able to build over the course of three, four years, something yeah, to that effect. Right. But Alex, that relationship was what? Five five phone calls before the job started? Six phone calls? Yeah, one phone call. There was a conference call with myself and Josh as the key grip. And um, and then we just we met on set really. No, oh, you you had told me that you had a few like side conversations. Oh yeah, we them. had a couple of text yeah. messages, emails exactly. back and you forth. Know, yeah. an, an extra you know five minute call here, email there, ten minute call. But I mean, at the end of the day, you had what maybe maybe ten points of conversation leading right. up to the job. Right. How do you build that relationship and develop the process with a DP that yeah, he's coming down here for sure. one job and that's it? So. Um, one thing I learned early on is have the DP send you example images from other movies, other content that's already created, other media um, that shows what what he's looking for as far as quality of light, types of color, contrast, that kind of thing. So you can see right off the bat and get on the same page with him so you can understand. What kind of DP was he? You gave us, there's two different Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting because at first um, he was more of the technical DP. He was the more just telling me, hey, I want the fixture here. I want this fixture here. I want this fixture here. And then funny enough, on the first day when we wrapped, um, he's like, hey, man, I hope, you know, I wasn't driving you too crazy today telling you exactly what I wanted, where I wanted. And I said, no, no, absolutely not. You know, I mean, that's my job. I'm here to execute your vision. Um, And however you want to work it, that's fine with me. Um, And uh, it was interesting because after that conversation, he started telling me more that, you know, he came up in Grip and Electric. So here is a DP that has started in the grip and electric department. He understands all the different types of capabilities of the equipment 
So he just takes that knowledge and uses it. Mm-hmm. Similar to how when I was at the production company and I was shooting things, I would communicate with my gaffer because I am the same way. I understand the capabilities of the equipment. So um, it worked out well. But then it was funny by, I think, day four of the show, he was just kind of like letting me do my thing. And he's, you know, we were all on the same wavelength and we were dialed in because we had had three prior days. Yeah, the, the first, first day is always the roughest. Yeah, the first day it was more like, OK, let's just get through this. And we were in a house upstairs, downstairs, all over in the attic. And it was it was all over the place. So um, and it's the first time working with somebody. So, you, you know, you want to make sure you're you're even keel and you're working with them and you know you want to let them know that you're here for them and you're you're in you're in on their side to get this done right because there's always that battle of uh i don't know if it's a battle but i'll say battle the dp versus production right the dp wants to make the departed but (laughs) production just wants to go shoot a run and gun documentary style thing Right. right so um and sometimes that's not always the case, but it depends, right? And that's what I find mostly on these because the DPs, it's great because I love working with people that are very uh, optimistic of the schedule and I love people that are ambitious because, I, I mean, that's awesome. I, uh, first and foremost, I do this because I enjoy it. Um, I don't do it because I, 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 I don't know. It's not, that's what I've always done. It's what I've done now for 12 years and that's my passion, right? Lighting and working with people and being on set. That's why I enjoy it. That's, that's what makes 14, 15 hour days pass by easily. Some people go, Oh my gosh, I've been on set eight hours. I can't deal with this. Um, it's probably not, you should probably shouldn't be on set then. Yeah. There might be another position, uh, in the world of film and production that's good, but it's, that's probably not where you should be. So going back to it, um, by the end of the show on the fourth day, uh, we had created a blackout tent in the middle of the day next to the Don Cesar Hotel here in St. Petersburg. And uh, he basically came out and said, oh, this is great. You know, nice work. And there there was no guidance. Um, there were no real factors. He just told me what he wanted it to look like, what he wanted it to feel like. And we used Titan tubes to create motivated lighting of practical lights of a driving scene. And we were doing poor man's process, which is basically a car standing still but we're using lighting for environmental effects to make it look like the car's moving. And you do that through lighting. Um, and we just, we set the Titan tubes up, put a chase pattern on them and, uh, he loved it. And that's kind of how we did it. So like those next three days of production were pretty much autopilot for me. I he would just kind of be like, okay, I want it to look like this. And then I would do it. Um, you know, and there were some tweaks here and there, but for the most part, we were, we were on the same page, I would think. Thanks for listening to this episode of Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. If you gained any value from the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, contact us on Instagram at Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. The show was recorded at Two Stories Media Studios in Clearwater, Florida and produced by Two Stories Media and Greenland Entertainment.